Hi, welcome to episode two of the Behind the Backdrop podcast. I'm Ben Sanford. And I'm Nicole Sanford. And in this episode, we'll be discussing and analyzing the Broadway sensation, Wicked. history of the Broadway show itself, an introduction to the novel that the Broadway show is based off of, and a plot summary, and then we'll dive into our character analysis, a discussion of the songs and motifs in the show, and then end with some critiques we have for the production. The Broadway production of Wicked opened October 3rd, 2003, after having 25 previews. Since then, the show has had over 6,500 performances and is still running today. The West End production of Wicked opened on September 27, 2006, and has been running ever since, now having played over 5,500 performances. The book was written by Gregory Maguire and published in 1995. While the Broadway production is obviously based on this novel by Gregory Maguire, the book has a darker feel to it than the production, as it was written for a more mature audience. The primary reason they changed some of these more disturbing aspects of the book when adapting to the stage was to make the stage version more family-friendly and appeal to a wider audience. It's definitely interesting to be aware of how the theater adaptation differs from the novel in this way, but we'll talk more about some of those differences later in the episode. Another note about the story of Wicked is that it is a precursor to the story of The Wizard of Oz, with the two main characters in Wicked being Elphaba, commonly known as the Wicked Witch of the West, and Glinda, commonly known as the Good Witch of the North. I think it's important to note that both of these characters did originate in author L. Frank Baum's book, The Wizard of Oz, written in 1900. The movie adaptation of The Wizard of Oz came out in 1939, depicting the Wicked Witch of the West much more villainously, whereas the book and the musical Wicked explore her complexities and portray her in a much more positive light. Wicked tells the story of Elphaba and Glinda as they meet in college, years before the events of The Wizard of Oz. Although they start at odds with one another, they grow to be great friends until Elphaba discovers the corrupt actions that her mentor at Shays College, Madame Morrible, and the wizard are doing together. The story is filled with magic and love affairs, but the ending moral really seems to be about the power of friendship. The basic moral of the story is don't judge a book by its cover, but the show goes a lot deeper than that. In this magical setting, Wicked explores themes of grief and shame and how isolating the world can be. This story leaves a mark on its audience because it's fantastical and epic, but it's also relatable and real. Alphaba and Glinda tell a story about the depths of humanity at its very core, showing us both the good and the bad that every human is capable of. If you aren't very familiar with this story, but this introduction has piqued your interest, we would suggest you go find a way to view the production or just familiarize yourself with the cast recording, and then come back to this episode after, as we are about to go into a pretty heavy analysis of the show. Okay, so to begin the character analysis, we're going to start with Elphaba, who is the protagonist of the show and honestly a super interesting character. The instant we meet her, she's already seen as an outcast. Everybody on stage screams in horror when they see her. And it's clear that even her family, who are the people that are supposed to love her the most, don't always treat her that way, especially her father. It seems clear that her father verbally abused her and neglected her. He even says right at the beginning that the only reason he's sending her to Shiz is to take care of Nessa because he loves Nessa, but he views Elphaba as a complete disappointment to the family, which I think just sets up the character in a really sad way. Yeah, and there's no basis for it other than the fact that she was born green. It's just a really sad way to start the show because she hasn't done anything to deserve all of that abuse and neglect and hatred from her family and from everybody else. Yeah, and it's clear how defensive she is right off the bat. In the first scene, she goes up to all the civilians that are sitting at Shiz, and she basically is like, no, I don't, I didn't eat grass as a kid. No, I blah, 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 and goes down the list of questions that she constantly gets. And it's kind of aggressive. It's But it's she, in an understandable way, though. No, yeah, I think it's completely understandable. She clearly has been bullied and attacked for the color of her skin and the way she was born. And so I think her defensiveness is a totally understandable response to that. And it's honestly, I think, admirable. She doesn't let it get to her, or at least she puts on a face when it does, because... Yeah, because the aggression isn't that she is a rude or mean person. No, not the, at all. It's in a tone that's basically saying, I'm going to cut through all the questions that I know you're going to ask me, and I'm going to act 
confident and act sure of myself even if I'm not feeling necessarily confident in myself. Yeah, I also think that the moment where she uses her magic and Madame Morrible gives her attention and praise and is tells her this is amazing is a really important moment for her and one that honestly feels sad to me still. The fact that no one is looking at her as a human being, even Madame Morrible, when she gives her positive attention, she's only giving her attention because she did magic. And right. so she is using a natural gift that Alphaba has and praising her for that. She still is not allowing Alphaba to be a human being. Even though it's positive and yeah. she's affirming her, she's not affirming her worthiness Humanity, as a yeah. human. Yeah. I also think what I love about Elphaba is that with that kind of aggressive side of her or defensive side of her, when she feels the need to approach people confidently about how she knows that people are probably going to look at her differently or because they do look at her differently, she also does feel bad and she has a timid side. She has so many different sides to her. We'll talk about this in the Wizard and I song. But she's so cute and hopeful and innocent in that mm -hmm. song, and she has youth about her and has a personality that nobody recognizes. And so it's really interesting to see all of these sides of her play out where you might see her just as this defensive, irritable, and kind of have tough skin because of the cards she's been dealt and how people treat her. But she also has a really beautiful and fun and unique personality, and it's it's just interesting to see that play out in her character right from the beginning of the show. Yeah, I think she has very clearly defined quirks and the way she gets excited is so adorable and endearing. And she also has a shyness to her that I noticed throughout the entire show. She, yeah, that's kind of the timidness that I was talking about too. Yeah, she has moments where she kind of acts out aggressively and gets super defensive. But other than that, she is quiet and reserved and kind and compassionate. And most people don't look past her skin and her aggression, which only further demonstrates that nobody humanizes her. Yeah. Even Nessa, who is probably the one person that throughout her life has been good to Elphaba, feels like she takes Elphaba for granted in the amount of work and care that Elphaba has done for Nessa. It feels like Nessa kind of takes that for granted and is constantly ashamed of Elphaba despite how much Elphaba does for her, even Nessa doesn't have her back. It's like even if people aren't verbally or physically abusing her in that direct way, they're still not appreciating her or treating her with human dignity. Like you're saying, Nessa takes her for granted even if she's not verbally abusing her. She still doesn't appreciate her or see her as a mutual peer. Yeah, and I think that when you take all that into account, even after just watching the first scene, the loneliness that Elphaba must feel is so relevant. Also, another thing that I think is really interesting is when we were talking about how she gets defensive and kind of approaches people with kind of assassin personality in defense of people being rude to her. It's not cocky. And I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of the time being aggressive or having that kind of personality that's kind of overbearing in a sense can come across as really cocky but she's actually really humble and that's the timid side of her too mm -hmm. where it's like she has humility and she's not stuck up and she doesn't think that she deserves anything from anybody because she's been treated this way she has a spunk or a spark in her mm -hmm. where that shows but she still is humble and has a lot of integrity and we see that throughout the show for sure mm -hmm. as she meets Glinda too. Yeah, I also just want to talk kind of about her whole character arc because it's a fantastic one. The way that Alphaba develops throughout the show is kind of a wonder to behold. She obviously starts out in, like we've been saying, a very defensive attitude and honestly also really protective of Nessa, despite however Nessa treats her. She acts like she doesn't care what anyone else thinks and there's a line later in the show where Glinda says, of course she cares what people think. She just pretends not to. And I think that that is kind of a cornerstone for the character too, that Elphaba may be putting on a brave face, but it does hurt her. And and that only lends more to her humanity. Yes. She's not some powerhouse that is, a, is able to take all these attacks on her and 
know that they're just wrong. She does take it personally and it does hurt her, but she somehow moves past that and looks only for her future and what could be good. And that's why I feel like there's something really beautiful about her character because it shows the complexities of humans in general, just in that she can let it get to her and she can, she's not invincible. She does have feelings, but she also can stand up for herself at times. So I don't know. I think there's just a balance between people can be tough cookies and they can handle it, but then they also can still feel emotions and she, mm -hmm. her character exemplifies that throughout the course of the show and that's just a very I feel like there aren't a lot of characters that I can think of that have that contrast but yeah I just think it's I think she's a really cool character because she shows the different sides of humanity and shows that you can be sensitive or you can feel bad about the way that people are treating you but you also can stand up for yourself and you can also have confidence and be defensive and that's normal and all of that depicted through her character is just great to watch. I also think that her kindness throughout the entire show is so relevant. Um, she helps Glinda get into the sorcery program when Glinda got Nessa a date with Bach. She shares her lunch with Dr. McDillamond, and she also saves the lion, which are all in the first act. And obviously throughout the whole show, she is kind to people. But those are the three main ones that it, it makes. It just makes me feel bad for her because she's such a good person. And no one is willing to look past that, which is just kind of really difficult to watch. Eventually, when her and Glinda become closer friends and Glinda does end up helping her out, you can see her become more confident with herself. If you go and look up Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth's version of Popular, there's a professionally shot one on YouTube. The way that Glinda is playful and quirky and cute and Elphaba reacts as if she's quirky and cute and mm -hmm. it's clear that Alphaba appreciates Glinda, even if they're still not great friends right away. And just the way that Glinda helps bring Alphaba out of her shell and does make her more confident and comfortable in herself. And watching that physically come mm -hmm. out of Alphaba, watch her physically change and like her demeanor changes mm -hmm. and the way that Glinda's drawing her out. It's so cute. Yeah, it's adorable. And then when they both finally go to the Emerald City, you can totally feel how at home, especially Elphaba feels. It's the first place that she has ever not been looked at and had someone scream. She finally feels at home in a place that she's never felt before and that's so cool to watch. But then going right after that, she gives it all up because she knows that what the wizard and Madame Morble are doing is wrong. What they're doing to the animals is so oppressive and evil essentially she gives up her comfortability in her home essentially her new home because she knows that she needs to stand up for the people that aren't having a voice right now because no one ever had a voice for her and so she's yeah. giving her voice to those who don't have it also kind of going off of that too i feel like the extent to which she is kind despite everything that she's been through since being born an outcast makes the story even that much more tragic because she doesn't give us a reason to hate her. She might get defensive or she might get aggressive sometimes, but that's different than being a mean person right. or having a reason to kind of dislike her or point out her flaws. Mm -hmm. So I think that just, it makes her character even more tragic because despite everything she's been through, she's still an amazing, kind human. Yeah, absolutely. And I think honestly... In the second act especially, you see more of her angst, kind of, and her anger. When she leaves and becomes the Wicked Witch of the West, you can see how her being alone and her being outcasted on such a large, borderline political scale affects her. And it, it makes her angry and it makes her upset. And she kind of does, at this point, give in to the wickedness kind of mm -hmm. not fully she's obviously i think still a good person because yes she gets more angry but she's always still kind mm -hmm. and she's always still who she was from day one which is anything but wicked mm -hmm. she things just change because she now is to your point in the political eye more or the whole world is against her versus it just being her parents or her sister. So I feel like that's kind of the human aspect of it, where it's like, who wouldn't 
have these conflicting emotions of anger at this time when she's going through what she's going through, but the fact that she stays kind through it all, it just is another point to her credit. I think that the most wicked thing she does in the show is probably take Fiero because that was the man of Glinda's dream. She was in love with Fiero and he wasn't in love with her, but she was in love with him and for Elphaba to go and essentially be like, sorry, Glinda, he's mine now, seems the most cruel. However, I think that it's the first time that anyone has ever picked Elphaba. Fiero wants her and no one ever has wanted her for her mm-hmm. in her life. And so even though I think that that is sort of cruel to do to Glinda, I think it's completely justifiable and not something that you should hold against her as a character because this is her f- the first time anyone has ever wanted her and to expect her to give that up seems unreasonable to me. Yeah, I just don't think it's cruel at all. Like, I wouldn't even go as far as saying that because... Mostly because Fiero is the one that chose Elphaba and came back to Elphaba. And they, so they yeah. had their moment where they had chemistry, but Elphaba never pursued that and tried to take Fiero away from Glinda. That was never even her intention. I don't even, at least from my outsider perspective, it didn't seem like that was even on Elphaba's radar to do that to Glinda. Fiero just chose it. Fiero left. I bet if Elphaba had even rejected Fiero after the fact, I bet Fiero still would have left Glinda. Yeah. So that's where I'm kind of like, I don't even think that she did anything cruel. I think it's sad and I feel for Glinda and it makes sense that Glinda would maybe even be upset, but she's honestly not. She gets it, which is an interesting when we talk about her character too. That's very interesting. She does not spite Elphaba or Fiero because she knows that Fiero just simply is not in love with her. Yeah, I think kind of concluding talking about Alphaba, to see her character go from someone who was only aggressive in defensive situations to someone who more is more proud and takes more ownership of who she is is really cool to watch. And she does get more angry and she does get more snarky and she is more offensive, I think, at the end of the show, or at least just more so in Act 2. But I think that in and of itself is kind of just her coming to terms with who she is and allowing herself to be who she is. Even if that's in solitude, even if that's with the world against her, she picks being herself over being respected and being hand in hand with the wizard. Yeah. I feel like what I love the most about her character is that through her entire character arc, she contends with everything that is thrown at her in life. And that... I think is what shows the most for me at least is that to your point she lets herself be who she is even if she had a rocky start and did have growth that growth was evident and she contended with that growth yeah so moving on to Glinda I think a little bit more she is also an extremely interesting character and I think that her and Alphaba are both kind of two sides of a coin they obviously are from extremely different backgrounds the way the public views them is completely different and those things don't change throughout the whole show. Everybody hates Elphaba the whole show and everybody loves Glinda the whole show. And the way they deal with things too I think is important to note just in the sense that Glinda cares a lot about her reputation Mm -hmm. and cares a lot about how people view her and Elphaba it's actually so interesting because Glinda puts on a persona of herself throughout the entire show that she's hiding what is deeply true about her and Elphaba doesn't really even care what people think about her she just wants to be able to be herself mm-hmm. so I mean obviously she obviously Elphaba would want to be liked but she doesn't have an any sort of ego or desire to have a certain reputation she just wants to be able to live her life the way mm-hmm. that anybody would want to live their life and I feel like Linda has more of an internal struggle as far as how people perceive her and having stake and how people view her. I think even with that, and she's mean sometimes. Glinda is mean, especially in Act 1. The things she does by sending Bach to Nessa, that literally ruins Bach's life in the end. Of course, she wouldn't have known that, but that is something that happens. Um, th- when she gives Elphaba the hat, which ends up being a positive thing, obviously, but 
at first the intent was to make fun of her and to put her in something ugly and gross. However, I think that moments where Glinda shows her kindness is like in a moment like in Dancing Through Life when Alphaba is dancing by herself and everyone's staring and making fun of her and she goes and dances with Alphaba is a moment that really shows that Glinda does care and she does feel empathy even if she somehow detaches herself from that empathy sometimes when it really comes down to it she is caring and she does want what's best for people even Alphaba and that's what's interesting because I think she is a really beautiful person it's just sometimes disheartening to see that she might care more about how she's viewed mm-hmm. and kind of push away those deeper sides of her, the empathetic sides or the compassionate sides or the side of her where she really is insightful and cares about Elphaba as a person and cares about their friendship. She pushes that away and that's interesting. It's interesting that she has that quality compared to Elphaba who doesn't really have that as much. Mm-hmm. I also think musically and just aesthetically how they choose to portray her as like this blonde ditzy soprano whose voice floats above and and no one really treats her with any intelligence. No one views her as someone who has something to say. Yeah, and she is kind of a character of comic relief too. Mm-hmm. She makes a lot of jokes. The audience laugh at a lot of what she says in a good way. Mm-hmm. But I think throughout the show, we start to explore her character more. We realize that she is layered and she does feel pain. But this sort of charade that she puts on of being this light, floaty, cute, like, girl is one that she does for other people. Especially in Act 2, with, like, Thank Goodness and stuff, she is putting on a happy face so that other people can be less stressed and be less anxious. Not because she's feeling happy, which I think is an admirable trait of hers. Yeah, and I think Act 2 brings light to that characteristic in her from Act 1 or, like, from the entire show. Mm -hmm. Because in Act 1, I don't even think the audience is completely aware of the extent to which she is putting on that persona Mm -hmm. until Act 2. And then, once you get to Act 2 and she sings things like, thank goodness, and is putting the face up during these dire times with the Wicked Witch of the West that's when you realize, oh, wait, maybe she is... And, I mean, I guess you could say in some of the songs, like, in popular, when she does care about Elphaba or whatnot. But I do think, to your point, in Act 2, that's when the audience really gets to know, really gets to see Glinda as she is and see the depths of her that maybe were glossed over in Act 1. I also think that Glinda and Fierro are really similar in those ways. He's also a character of comic relief, and especially with Dancing Through Life. The theme of that whole song, to me, is the epitome of the character trait in Glinda and Fierro that is to cover up the layers. I think that both Fierro and Glinda want to be viewed the way they are viewed, which is different than who they actually are, but Fierro especially makes a pretty active effort to seem carefree and seem like nothing matters. That's what dancing life is dancing through life is about. He wants everyone to view him as someone that doesn't give a care in the world. Which is really interesting that he would want people to view him that way. I know I would not want to be viewed in the way that I don't care about anything and nothing matters and just do whatever you want. Like that's not I think how I would want myself to be viewed. And so it's interesting that Fiero does want to be viewed that way. Yeah, I don't really get it. Like I don't get at least personally, I just can't relate to wanting to be seen differently than you are, whereas Elphaba just wants to be seen as she is. Right. And I feel like most people would relate to Elphaba, so it's interesting that those two characters have that personality trait. Yeah, I also think that Elphaba honestly brings out who Fiero is a lot more. The moment where they both save the lion is a really big one for Elphaba, but especially for Fiero. He finally meets someone that he has a natural chemistry with and one that is true to himself. Obviously, him and Glinda matched for sort of shallow reasons. They're both popular and pretty. People love them. And And they're both really charismatic and charming, too, mm -hmm. and they're fun characters to watch on stage. And so they obviously mesh very naturally together, and so it makes sense that, that they are the ones that originally ended up together. But Fiero, every time he interacts with Elphaba, it's like he understands himself more the more he's with Uh, her. And it's almost like, to me, it's almost as if both he and Glinda have this little light inside of them that knows 
that they have more than what they're sharing with mm -hmm. others. And Alphaba brings that out in both of them. Obviously, Alphaba brings that out in Fiero in a, a more romantic way because they have a lot of chemistry and kind of click right from the get-go. But also, Alphaba brings that out in Glinda by being her friend and seeing her as she is. And it is interesting, too, that Alphaba doesn't judge Glinda because I feel like, at least as an audience member... I even kind of judge Glinda where I'm like, oh, she's She's just... so loud and annoying and poppy and it's like, oh, love you, but like, shut up, please. Yeah, Where Alphabet dumb. doesn't even feel that way about her. Yeah, Alphabet doesn't feel that way about her at all. She doesn't see her as a ditzy, unintelligent... Well, she kind of does in What Is This Feeling, but she gets over it quickly. She gets over it quickly, yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't let the way that she viewed her at the beginning taint the way that she views her when she actually gets to know her. Right. Yeah, moving on to Nessa a little bit more, I think Nessa is an extremely interesting character and one that never really gets talked about when I hear about the show. I think that the way Nessa develops as a character is really interesting too. She starts off pretty confident in herself, pretty strong. It's clear she loves Elphaba, but especially in Act 2, we see a really dark side of Nessa. She is needy and attached and wants someone to take care of her and does that forcefully, especially with Bach. In Act 2, she literally forces Bach to stay with her, which is just... Well, she basically tries to make him fall in love with her, right? When... Yeah, the spell that turns Bach into the Tin Man is one that Nessa did wrong trying to make him fall in love with her. Yeah, and then the last thing that we see of Nessa is when she throws Elfie under the bus and... Telling Bach that it was Elphaba's fault that he turned into the Tin Man. Yep. And that's the last that we see of Nessa then... That's it. And then she basically dies after that. Yeah. And she also lived a really sad life. I, I, it makes me wonder why she wasn't more empathetic and proud of her sister because both of them were people that were born with sort of, I mean, Elfie doesn't have a disability by any means, but the world views them differently. And Nessa being in a chair and Elfie being discriminated against essentially because of her skin color is one that I thought would connect them, but it seems like Nessa still does view Elfie as less of a person, and it's even though she's her sister. It's interesting, too, because Nessa doesn't necessarily directly spite her at the beginning, so we find out that Elfie and Nessa's father blames Elphaba for Nessa's disability because... And for the death of their mother. And for the death of their mother because... The father gives Alphaba's mother flowers, white flowers to eat while she's pregnant with Nessa to make sure that she's not green. And the father at the beginning of the show spites Alphaba for that and blames her for that. But Nessa doesn't necessarily admit that she's upset with Alphaba or blames her for the death of her mother. So that's interesting to see because I feel like it would make more sense for Nessa and her father to equally dislike Alphaba. I feel like Nessa is also, like, what could have happened to Elphaba. She is, when we see her in Act 2, she is angry and obsessive and destructive. And that is a path that Elphaba definitely could have gone down, but chose not to. And it's interesting to see Nessa develop that way, because I think I had a little bit more hope for Nessa, because at the beginning, she didn't spite Elphaba, she even when her really father nice did. She seemed really nice and sweet, yeah. She seemed really nice and sweet, and even though she maybe took Elphaba for granted, she didn't necessarily treat her horribly the way mm -hmm. that other people did. But then, at the end, she turns on her, and that, the one family member that didn't hate her as much as the others still ended up turning on her in the end, and... Another point, too, I just think this whole story is really tragic, even though it has its uplifting themes, and those being friendship and the relationship that Alphaba has with Glinda and the relationship she has with Fiero and all of that. But it really is a tragic story because at the end of the day, Alphaba's still isolated, and I think Nessa turning on her is another example of like, oh, this really is sad, even mm -hmm. if there are some uplifting uplifting moments. I also think that Nessa's death really also brings out the goodness that is inherently in Alphaba. She mourns her sister and cares and wants the shoes because it's the one thing she could have left of her sister and she grieves her and it's painful. And I don't know that Nessa would have felt the same way. Right. 
I think she would have been sad, and I think she would have missed her sister, but Nessa is antagonistic towards Elphaba in Act 2, the minute that they see each other. And so Elphaba being so upset about Nessa's death really just shows the goodness that is innately in her. Yeah, and the selfishness of Nessa. Mm -hmm. Because I don't... I guess we'll never know, but I don't think that she... Nessa would have reacted the same way that Alphaba did if yeah. the roles had been reversed. I don't think so either. Okay, so moving on to some analysis of the music in the show. The show opens with the song No One Mourns the Wicked. It's a really epic song. I think it's a really perfect way to open the show. The ensemble is really heavy in this song, and I feel like a lot of people kind of brush ensemble heavy songs under the rug because they're either considered just a dance number or kind of filler songs. But because the ensemble represents how the whole world is basically against Elphaba from the very beginning, I think it's a perfect way for the show to begin having that really strong ensemble to start everything off. I also, though, think that there's a contrast with this epic ensemble singing in this song with Glinda as she poses the question, are people born wicked or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? I think this kind of brings in the theme of Glinda's struggle that she has with dealing with the relationship that she had with Alphaba before all of this went down and explains how Alphaba is conflicted at this moment at the same time that this theme of everybody being against Alphaba is also being portrayed throughout the song. Yeah, I also think it's really interesting that the song is called No One Mourns the Wicked and that this is the first thing that the audience sees when watching the show it also just hits me because glinda does mourn alphaba she does mourn the wicked so to speak and so the fact that this is the way the show starts is a really interesting choice to me and the way that it sets up how the story is told the fact that it sort of sets up the whole show in this backstory narrative with glinda telling the Aussians how she knew Elphaba and what happened is really interesting. Although it does seem pretty clear that the story that Glinda is telling the civilians is not the accurate one that we're seeing. At the end of the show, none of the Aussians are convinced that Elphaba was a good person. So clearly Glinda's not telling the story that we're seeing and not redeeming Elphaba, which Elphaba asked her not to redeem her after she died or faked her death. But it's just a really interesting choice to me. And also, at the beginning, we don't necessarily know this, so that's why I also think it's a really good way to start it, because it ends with this No One Mourns the Wicked song as a motif in the end, too. And so it kind of brings it full circle, because as an audience member, you're not necessarily aware of how Glinda is portraying this maybe not completely accurate. When Glinda asks the question, are people born wicked or do they have wickedness thrust upon them in this song... It's similar to in Dear Old Shiz when she says, when someone asks Glinda if she knew Elphaba or how well she knew her and she says, well, it depends on what you mean by friend and basically glosses over their friendship and says, well, our paths crossed, but we didn't really know each other that well. And that's just not true. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people don't recognize this song as deep or as impactful to the show, but I think as the opening number, it actually is really important. Okay, so moving on to The Wizard and I, kind of, I think that this is one of the purest ways we see Elphaba in the show. The way she is lighting up with excitement of her potential and her future. It seems like it's one of the first times that she has ever, one, let herself think positively of herself, and two, that she's ever thought she could be the one to do anything. Obviously, she helps Nessa and is there for Nessa to succeed, but Elphaba never thinks about how her life could be successful. And I think this is one of the first moments that she does think like that, which is why it's pretty adorable to watch. Mm -hmm. But there's also kind of a sadness about it because it's sad that she clearly has never thought about her future this much or thought she could have a future this much. Well, yeah, and I also think that in kind of the innocence of her letting herself dream about life, what life could be, it's also really tragic because she's basically dreaming and longing just to belong as herself in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's also a really tragic song because we see that the one dream that she has is just to fit in. And that's just sad. It's just tragic. Mm -hmm. 
I also think it's important to bring up the line, a celebration throughout Oz that's all to do with me, which is what Elphaba says in the middle of the song, which just is has always been a sad line to me because it's a foreshadow to her death. She is celebrated, but for her death, not for her accomplishments or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see her with this happy, hopeful personality, which I think is really who she is, and then kind of having that foreshadow and having that theme of tragedy too seen throughout this. Yeah, so moving on to what is this feeling, I think that the song is obviously mostly played for comedic relief, but I also think there's a little bit something there. Like you kind of mentioned earlier with the ensemble, this song has the ensemble completely antagonizing Elphaba. Everybody is on Glinda's side and loves Glinda and supports her, but is actively against Elphaba, which is a really interesting choice. And I think the only song that that is not the case is One Short Day, where she's finally in her safe space, kind of. But I think that another good question to ask with what is this feeling is, what is the actual feeling? They talk about how they think the feeling is loathing in the song, but I feel like there has to be something drawing them to each other. I think it's possible that it's just opposition. They're sort of two sides of a coin and they feel drawn to each other or just feel like an intense emotion about each other, even though they can't really identify what that is. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. I also think that this manifests itself throughout the rest of the show. It's not so much loathing, but at this point they're not jealous of each other, but I think that they do complement each other really well. And we start to see that as their friendship starts to grow and they get to know each other better. Mm -hmm. And so while they're talking about how they initially maybe loathe each other, it's actually that they each have qualities that the other one wishes that they had in some sense. So I do think that this song is mainly for comedic purposes because it really is funny and their interactions are funny, but it also is telling of what their friendship will become. So now for the song Dancing Through Life, I love this song, and I think the irony in this song is found just in the different interactions that happen throughout the song. So we have interactions between Firo and Glinda, Glinda and Bach, between Bach and Nessa, Nessa and Elphaba, and obviously we also have the interaction between Elphaba and Glinda. (laughs) (laughs) So we have lots of things going on, and, and obviously Firo sings about how it's better and more painless to be thoughtless and to just glide through life. But the love triangles that are introduced in this song that end up really messing with these characters in deeper ways is brought to light. And so I think it's a really clever way to kind of play with all of these different relationships in this fun, catchy song that has really cool dance numbers and is just really exciting to watch on stage. Yeah, that is a really interesting point that in the song Dancing Through Life, which is supposed to be about how just take it as it comes, nothing's really a big deal, just do what you want. It's really interesting that in that song, that is when we're introduced to all these, like, sometimes deadly relationships. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the relationship between Bach and Nessa is introduced now, and their lives are ruined by each other. Which is just interesting that these super complex and interesting relationships are introduced in the carefree song. Yeah. And it's also cool to see, because this is similar to No One Mourns the Wicked, in the sense that the audience doesn't necessarily know what's going to happen to all of these characters and how the relationships are going to turn out. So the audience is just having a good time and enjoying the music, and that's what's epic and fantastical and and the magical aspects of this show, too. I love that all of those themes are playing, but we also slowly get introduced and slowly over time see how there are themes that are running deeper than that. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is just credit to the writers of the show and writers of the music. It's just a really well done way to tell the story. I also like the moment in the song where Glinda goes and dances with Elphaba. It's clear that this is a moment where both of them are trying to like each other more. Elphaba is obviously trying to make more of an effort with Glinda because she got Nessa the date with Bach and Glinda sees Elphaba come in with the hat and everyone's laughing at her and she is trying to stay strong and dance on her own and Glinda goes and dances with her, and that is the first moment that they have a good interaction together where they are trying to be empathetic and sympathetic, and they 
have like a first connection and obviously that leads into popular which is also a really great moment yeah and to just highlight again when we're talking about character arc for these characters the songs i think mark a lot of the different stages of the characters personal developments and the development that they have with for each sure. other obviously starting with alphabon the wizard and i then going into the initial feelings in what is this feeling with glinda and alphaba then dancing through life we're introduced more and more of these developments start happening and then we get to popular and this is another kind of growing stage for glinda and alphaba so this song is just when their friendship really starts to blossom it's really sweet i love watching it yeah, I think this is a moment where Glinda kind of proves that she is a good person and she's not only stuck in her head. Obviously, she is sucked into the popularity of things and she is quite selfish and vain. But she also, in this moment, is really trying to do what she can to help Elphaba. This is what she's best at. This is what she feels the most confident in. And she is trying to help Elphaba get out of her shell and feel more confident about herself. And Glinda brings her own confidence and tries to kind of push that on Elphaba, which is a really cute and nice moment in the show. Yeah, and I feel like you really get to know their personalities in this song too, especially Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, who were the original actresses in this show, they do a really good job. There's a professionally shot video of them performing this on Broadway, and their little interactions are just really cute, and they do a really good job of bringing their characters to life and kind of showing who they really are in this song. Yeah, so moving on to I'm Not That Girl, I also think this is one of the most underrated songs in the show. The fact that this is a song that both Elphaba and Glinda sing at separate moments about the same boy is really interesting, and I think it's a moment that kind of unites them. Even though Elphaba and Glinda are kind of on the opposite sides of the bell curve, with Elphaba being super hated and a super outcast, and Glinda being loved and popular the whole show, they both have moments of feeling like they could be someone better and they they could have more to them that they will never have and I think that's really sad yeah and to kind of focus on Alphaba in this song too I think this is another example of just how tragic the story is it goes a lot deeper because she says he could be that boy I'm not that girl it's more than just a song about her saying that he's not that Firo's not the one for Alphaba she's saying that nobody is ever going to be the one for her and or she's not going to be the one for anyone else. Right. Also, I think it's really important to note the way that Alphaba sings this song because she does have a sense of being okay about the way things are. It's like she's accepted it, even though that reality might be hard for her. And it makes me have even more empathy for her just because of the way that she deals with it and the way that she kind of copes with it. She doesn't use the situation to manipulate anybody whether it's another character or even the audience manipulating them into feeling bad for her. She doesn't really expect anything from anybody. She's just stating that he could be that boy for me and I'm not that girl for him and I'm not going to be that girl for anyone. Okay, so moving on to One Short Day. Obviously, this is a big moment for Elphaba. It's the first time that she's ever been in a situation where she feels at home and like she can truly be herself. And I think that's what makes this song so good. Like I mentioned earlier... This is also the one song in the show that the ensemble is with her. They are dancing alongside her and cheerful with her and accepting of her, which is just such a good moment in the show. And I think especially since it comes right before meeting the wizard and only a few minutes before Defying Gravity, I think that it's a really optimistic part of the show that kind of sadly falls through or the plans that Elfie has with moving to the Emerald City and staying there and being there forever kind of fall through because of what happens with the wizard directly after. Yeah, and I mean, I also think that just the fact that it's called One Short Day and, and the ensemble is basically singing that phrase One Short Day for the entirety of the song, it's a big moment for both Glinda and Alphabet, like you said, but it's also cut short. And so there's always this contrast of even in the times when Alphaba is the happiest and is experiencing these really happy emotions and going through good times in her life, it's almost always shut down at some point, and we see that in the following scenes and in Defying Gravity. 
but yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you say, and I do think it's a really underrated song. Similarly to No One Mourns the Wicked, for some reason, I just really like the ensemble, and I think the role that the ensemble plays in this show in its entirety is really important, and so... Yeah, the ensemble feels like their own character, kind of. Totally, yeah. And in other shows, I don't necessarily have that same feeling toward it. So for those reasons, I, I also really like One Short Day, and I think it deserves more recognition than it maybe gets. Yeah. So moving on to the Act 1 finale, yes. Define Gravity, the most iconic song. Obviously, the song is iconic in every sense of the word. Everyone knows it. Everyone in theater, everyone out of theater. Yeah, right. Um, obviously, I think that it's deserved. This song is fantastic. It's. I do not think it's overrated at all. I don't either. It's climactic and empowering. This moment for Elphaba is huge. Not only is she taking ownership of who she is, but she's also refusing to let the romantic side of this with power and prestige taint what she finds morally correct. Even though her life could be a lot better if she was with the wizard, she knows that what him and Madame Morrible are doing is so wrong to the animals by taking away their voices and essentially turning them into slaves of sorts. She knows that that is so wrong that she refuses to let them get away with it and really takes ownership of who she is as a person which is really amazing to watch it's so amazing to watch again i think people's obsessions with it are really justified just because just because of the very nature of the song is epic and you have to have a special kind of voice to be able to hit that note and so to me the music and how it was blocked on stage and how she rises in the air and it's kind of indicative of how she is using her voice in the absence of others all of that interplaying together I just think is really powerful and is the perfect way to end act one I also think that this song is obviously from a vocal standpoint incredibly challenging but also from an acting standpoint the the things that whoever playing Elphaba has to do throughout the entire show the way she progresses is so interesting and difficult and shout out to Jack Olson <laughs> but he and he talks to me about this all the time but how Elphaba can act through her eyes and how she can emote through her eyes and the pain and anger and empowerment that you can see just by looking at her and how she stands still on stage is so cool and I think when someone's a really good Elphaba you can feel it mm -hmm. without them having to be a perfect singer or over-exaggerate all their emotions. Yes, I definitely don't think that over-exaggeration is necessary. And when you have a character who can do all of those things that you are saying, and then you add the smoke and the lights and the ensemble and all of these other aspects that make it magical and epic, it's just, it's very, very well done. So then moving on from that onto Thank Goodness, which is the Act 2 opener, I think that this song does a lot for Glinda's character. I remember the first time I saw it, I think I was in like fourth grade, but I remember being kind of amazed at the transformation that Glinda has gone through in this time. She looks older and her voice sounds older and you can tell that she's not just a silly college popular schoolgirl anymore. She is a figurehead now. She is someone that the wizard and Madame Morrible want to be an icon for people to look up to. And the weight that Glinda has on her shoulders because of that is so clearly shown. And I that's why I think the song is really good, is that it shows how Glinda is pushing through her struggle with Fiero, with Elphaba, and putting on a happy face so that everybody else in Oz can be a little bit at ease. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I think this is to your point, a big part of her character arc in the sense that we see her in popular and in the first act when she's kind of preoccupied with the way that people view her and the way that people see her in general. And then now people are looking to her in certain ways, sort of like I think what she aspired to be in the first mm -hmm. act, similar to Fiero as well in Dancing Through Life when he wants to be seen as charming and, and charismatic and all of that. So it is really cool to see how what Glinda aspired to be 
however many years ago when she was a schoolgirl at Shiz University. She's now grown up in a sense and is still kind of playing that role. But now we see the deeper sides of it where there's a lot more pressure and a lot more and there's a lot more gravity to her as a person in general gravity to the role that she plays in the Ozian's lives. Yeah, I also think the I'm Not That Girl reprise that Glinda sings also kind of serves the same purpose. It's a really interesting moment for Glinda because I think I would have expected her to be more upset and angry and bitter and, what? I didn't get what I want? How did that not happen? Mm-hmm. But she seems accepting of it and it it's... It really shows the respect she has for Elphaba and how Glinda does humanize Elphaba at this point in the show because she kind of lets Firo go. Sadly, she's not happy about it, but she knows that she's not that girl. And I think that this is a moment of reflection for her because she realizes that she may be the popular pretty blonde girl and so she's perfect on paper, but when it comes down to it, Elphaba has something that Glinda will never have which is what Fiero loves so much, which is just a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, I totally agree. I It surprised me that Glinda reacted that way and didn't get really mad about it. She does just accept it and lets that be true for Fiero and Alphaba. I think that's really telling to Glinda's character throughout all of the messiness of both their relationship and their individual characters. And now for the last couple songs in the show that we're going to talk about, No Good Deed is personally... I think one of my favorite in the show. This song is really just Elphaba talking about how much pain and death she's gone through in her life and how she feels kind of responsible for some of it. Yeah, well, I think that the fact that the song is called No Good Deed and the lyrics are No Good Deed Goes Unpunished really shows that Elphaba has been pushed to feeling that way, that she feels that every time she tries to do good in the world, it only brings her bad which is just such a sad thing to realize. And obviously the way that it's portrayed in the song, she's a lot more angry about it. She's kind of fed up with how life is treating her. But I just think it's so sad that all of these people, Nessa, Fiero, Dr. Dillamond, all these people that she has cared for so much have all been taken from her or hurt in some other way. And she does feel responsible. And often I don't think she is the cause. Like, her dad made her feel responsible for Nessa being in a wheelchair and for their mother's death, but that wasn't Elphaba's fault. It wasn't at all. And so the fact that Elphaba clearly has this weight on her shoulders of guilt that isn't even deserved to her. She doesn't deserve to have that weight on her shoulders, which is just why I think this song is so powerful is because you can really feel her pain and you really can feel where she has come from throughout the show to get her to this point. Yeah, and echoing all of that, I think vocally this song displays all of that emotion and all of Mm -hmm. that baggage and everything that she is feeling about her life in general. It kind of sums it all up in a different way than Defying Gravity did, because I think Defying Gravity is more a climactic point for her to push away what she disagrees with or push away the wrong that she sees others doing and no good deed kind of brings light to the darker sides of the things that she is going through which is and we've talked about this before but why I think this show does a really beautiful job of showing both the good and the bad and we see that in the contrast with the colors with the pink and the blue with Glinda and the green and the black for Elphaba and we see that in their differing voices. Elphaba has a stronger, more powerful voice, while Glinda has a more opera-sounding, high-pitched falsetto voice. So I think all of these things are at play, and when you look at For Good in the context of all of these things happening in the show, it's just really powerful. Yeah, and going on to For Good, I think with you just talking about their voice parts, I think that this song is super interesting because what I've noticed is that they switch. So not not completely, but Elphaba takes the higher notes and Glinda takes the lower notes, which I think is super symbolic and intentional about oh, yeah. how they have come to respect each other and they have come to acknowledge the paths that each of them have chosen. 
and still care for each other and still know that this is just what each had to do. Yeah, I do think that this song does a really beautiful job of showing of showing that they really are similar in a lot of ways, despite what differences they have at their cores. I love the harmonies in the song. It's just really beautiful to listen to. And I think it's also relatable to anybody who's listening to it. Mm-hmm. I think we can all say that we've had at least one person who has changed you for the better. And so I just like that the theme of the song is universal and can apply to anybody, but also fits perfectly at this point in the show mm-hmm. and fits perfectly with both of their character arcs, both individually and together. And we just see all of this happening throughout the course of the show. I think it's really easy to tie in all of these individual pieces of the story together into an overarching theme, overarching takeaways. And that just is to the credit of the writers of the story. Yeah. I also think it's really important to note that this is the only time in the show that Elphaba says she's limited. Obviously, throughout the whole show in The Wizard and I and Define Gravity, she talks about being unlimited and how her future's unlimited and her power is unlimited. But in this song, she's acknowledging that she can't do it all. And maybe it's time for Glinda to to kind of take up that charge. And so I think that is a huge moment for Elphaba because the first song she sang, The Wizard and I, she talks about being unlimited. And, and so the fact that she's finally acknowledging that she can't do it all is a really cool moment in the show for her character, for Elphaba and Glinda's relationship, and just as the story overall. Yeah, I think it's definitely a grounding moment for both of them. We go through a lot throughout the entire show, and we see the characters experience and feel a lot of different things as they grow and change. And so this song with Elfie talking about how she's limited, opposing all the times that she said she was unlimited, just kind of brings it back to reality, but in a really beautiful way. Okay, so kind of to get into the musical motifs of the show, there are definitely a few, especially instrumentally. The biggest ones, I think, being the No One Mourns the Wicked. The No One Mourns the Wicked music maybe doesn't always come back in its exact same form, but I think the epic and clashy orchestration of it, of this powerful and intense music that starts off No One Mourns the Wicked and starts off the show, I think there are many instrumentals like that that definitely echo each other. And the powerhouse of the ensemble as well. Yeah, for sure. There are also just a couple other musical motifs that we picked up on. In the song Wonderful, when the wizard is trying to get Alphaba to go with him, he sings it to the tune of Defying Gravity, which is also when she's trying to get Glinda to go with her. Also, the tune of Defying Gravity is right before For Good, when they're saying the I'm limited phrase. So I definitely think that that was intentional, and I think it's a cool way to incorporate the themes throughout various songs when it's appropriate to. Mm -hmm. Also, just the I'm Not That Girl music plays, mostly instrumentally. Obviously, both Glinda and Elphaba sing their own versions of the song, which are obviously... (laughs) supposed to echo each other but we also noticed that in the orchestration after Glinda puts the flower in Elphaba's hair in popular and Elphaba leaves there is the I'm not that girl music that plays which could mean a few things I think it could mean that simply Elphaba is becoming more like Glinda and they're realizing they have more in common and so maybe she is more like Glinda than she actually thinks but I also think it might mean that Glinda is sort of trying to turn Elphaba into another version of herself when that's not really who Elphaba is. And so she is not that girl that is going to be all pretty and perfect and bubbly like Glinda is. And Glinda might not even be aware that she's doing that. That's why I think that it's cool that it's used in the instrumentals kind Mm -hmm. of as a background music because it's this theme that's kind of lingering in the air almost. But it is during a song when Glinda and Elphaba are on good terms and the relationship is growing. So I just really like the way that the music is used in this show in general and especially in these kind of specific points where we've seen the musical motifs. So then also just kind of finishing off the motifs with the unlimited motif, obviously the 
biggest one in the show and the one that appears the most often. What I think is super interesting that some people know, but not everyone knows, is that the unlimited is actually the same as somewhere over the rainbow. It, the notes are the same, which is really interesting, just that the Wizard of Oz iconic song can be kind of stretched throughout this show and how maybe Dorothy and the Wicked Witch of the West do echo each other too, which is kind of shocking to think about when you watch The Wizard of Oz, but might be more true than you actually think. Yeah, it's bizarre to see how this classic book and film that everybody in the world knows this story like the back of their hand, to have the composer of the show incorporate this into Wicked with this iconic song being well known for being used in The Wizard of Oz. I just think it adds even more depth and makes the show come full circle even more. So the last thing we want to discuss is just some things that we might change about the production in general. So in this show, something that I've just kind of thought a little bit about is that Elphaba isn't fearful of water as she is in the book, and she also dies in the book the way that she does in The Wizard of Oz, but they change that in the show. So I totally get that the show is meant to be more kid-friendly, and I actually love that younger kids could go to it and be able to walk away feeling like it had more resolution. So the fact that it's aimed at a larger target audience, I think is totally fine. But I do just think that it takes away from the tragedy of the story. And so as an adult viewer, I feel like there is a decent sense of resolution, even though Elphaba still does leave with Fiero in isolation. And it's tragic that Glinda doesn't even necessarily know that Elphaba is still alive. So it's isolating and sad and still a tragic ending with the ensemble singing No One Mourns the Wicked as they started the show. While all of that is really true, I do just think that it takes away from the tragedy of the story. Yeah, I disagree. I think that I do agree it resolves a little bit better, but I th I still think it's so sad that like one of Elphaba's last lines is like, I just want to tell Glinda so that she can know we're okay. And Fiero's like, we can't tell anyone. And so Glinda, the show ends with Elphaba continuing to be slandered and Glinda not knowing that they're alive, but having made the promise that she wouldn't defend her. And it's just, it feels, the weight of it still feels really real to me. And I still feel very upset about it, but I also can walk out with this smile on my face still. And that's what I think I like about the show's ending is that it feels optimistic, but it also doesn't take away from the emotional impact of the show and the story overall. To me, I just feel like that is the decision that Glinda and Elphaba made. Elphaba asked her not to redeem her in the end. And because both of them could have chosen something different and Glinda could have stood up for her more, I feel like it makes more sense to me that Elphaba decided to leave with Fiero and Glinda made the choice to not stand up for her. That is less tragic to me than having all of this happen and we get to know Elphaba's character over the course of the show and then have it end in her death. I think that would have just crushed me as a viewer, honestly. But I do totally get what you're saying, and I think that the ending is for sure isolating and still tragic to some degree. It just would have hit me differently if she would have died, like what happened in the book. So moving on to some questions we have about the story, kind of. One of the things that I noticed when watching it was just I didn't always fully buy... Fiero and Alphaba's relationship, I thought that we didn't see enough of their development to understand why they truly fell in love. I think that obviously Fiero and Alphaba had a great moment together when they rescued that lion back at Shiz, and they, they clearly had good chemistry and connected in that moment, but as far as we know, Fiero hadn't seen Alphaba since then, and so the fact that, I mean, I don't even know how long later, he was willing to just give up everything he had. He was the head of guard. He was about to marry Galinda. The fact that he would just give that up for Elphaba when they had when they hung out one time is confusing to me. It does feel a little bit like love at first sight and that's fine and all, but it is a little bit of a stretch for me as far as just feeling a bit dramatic and somewhat unoriginal. So I am not the biggest fan of not developing their romantic relationship 
Because I think they could have easily done that. Yeah, I just think, I like the choice to have Fiero and Elphaba be together. I just wish we saw that happen a little bit more. For sure, yeah. Yeah, so then just the last thing we kind of had about the show was that it doesn't always seem super clear what the world finds so wicked about Elphaba, especially when it gets to the larger scale. I understand why people bully her in college and why people are mean to her and she feels like an outcast, but... What confuses me a little bit is why the world is so actively against her after Defying Gravity in, in Act 2. I I get that Madame Morble and the wizard slander her and they call her an enemy, but it surprises me that nobody else was like, wait, what has she actually done? Because at least from what I'm aware of, she hasn't done anything except for protect the animals. That's just something that I think they could have made a little bit more clear or maybe make Elphaba a little bit more morally gray and have her do some things that are a little more wicked and have that develop more and you can kind of see where the world pushes her but they don't do that that much in the show. I have an issue too with Glinda's lack of defense for Elphaba. I just don't understand why Glinda couldn't have done anything more to vouch for her. I totally get that the world was against her and Glinda probably would have gotten a lot of hate if she had stood up for her but with the position that Glinda had at the end of the show, or at the beginning and the end, when she's telling the story to the Aussians, I definitely think her authority at that point in time, she would have been able to convey it in a way that says, you guys don't know her the way that I knew her, we were friends, we were close, she's not wicked, and maybe that was just a storyline choice, and it was supposed to be that way, but... I'm kind of left hanging as far as why Glinda didn't do more to stand up for her. Yeah, it does seem like Glinda, if anyone, would be the one that could redeem Elphaba, but she just chooses not to. And I get that Elphaba asked her not to in the end, which makes sense, but I still think that Glinda could have done a little bit more. But I still do understand her standpoint in not doing that. And to your point, too, why nobody else stood up for her ever. How, How is it that every single person that sees her views her in this wicked way right nobody was like <laughs> wait are what has she done not she's not one, that bad not even one person not yeah. even one on person whether that's represented in the ensemble or otherwise mm-hmm. not even glinda and not even not even nessa not, not even yeah. all that being said we adore this show it is fantastic and emotional and magical so no hate no <laughs> Grievances. It's one of the most successful shows on Broadway of all time. So and what do we know? So, <laughs> so. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Behind the Backdrop podcast. Special thanks to Ian Handeland for composing our intro music and Megan Hine for designing our logo. We'll see you next month when we spend just another day with Next to Normal. 